0: taking our time tonight, and we're in chapter 3. And as we come to chapter 3, we've had that background of chapter 1, where Naomi and her husband, Amimelech, had left Israel, where they had an inheritance. They had land. They probably had a house that they had received as inheritance from their tribe, the tribe of Judah. And they went to Moab in the east, modern Jordan. They crossed the Jordan River. And there, over a 10-year period, both their sons got married to Moabite women, both the, the sons died. They passed away at a young age. So that would have been very grievous and heartbreaking for the, uh, the parents. But then, of course, uh, Amimelech died as well. So for Naomi, which means pleasant, she lost her husband and her oldest son and her youngest son. And so just the the heartache of a 10-year run like that is unbelievable to think in your life happening. But things like that happen to people. And how you frame it and how you go forward determines How it's going to impact your life for good with the Lord or not for good. Or as we say, you get better or you get bitter. But you don't get better right away because death affects everybody. And going forward is hard. You still got to wake up and go find bread, right? We've talked about that. So those events happen as she heard that there was bread again. There had been a famine that took them there in the first place. Now she goes back to Israel empty-handed. But her two daughter-in-laws, who she's very close with, they cried a couple times in chapter 1. And she encouraged them to go back to their own people. They're still young. They can get married, they can reboot, they can get that second chance, and uh, it's all there for them, so go home. But Ruth refused to, and she said that famous phrase, your God will be my God, your people will be my people, which is amazing. We're not talking much about this, but the Moabites, remember, that's Balaam and Balak, and that's the whole story that we studied in the book of Deuteronomy. I mean, the Moabite women are the ones who stumbled Israelite men into sexual morality, and 20,000 plus got struck down by the Lord, the plague that Phinehas stopped. So there's a long history with the Moabites and the Israelites not liking one another and for centuries, for centuries from coming to the Promised Land. Also noteworthy, and I've not brought it up yet in this book, is in the book of Deuteronomy, God said there's a, a curse on the Moabites for ten generations. Interestingly enough, when you look at the timeline of Ruth, she's a Moabitess, and that Deuteronomy curse was there. It's been about 300 years give or take 50 in a different direction. And depending on how you count generations, she's either like generation 9 or 10 or 11 or 12. And we don't really know. So in this amazing story, is she under the curse and finds grace like we're under the curse of sin? Or has she cleared the curse and then finds sin like the Gentiles in the church age once Christ comes? Because the gospel is for the Jew first and God worked through the Jews in the covenant, but then the Pentecost and the church age, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is for all nations. So it could be one or the other. It's pretty amazing to think about as a background to the story, because this story just has layers and layers and layers as we look at it, and it's amazing. So she comes back to the promised land with her daughter-in-law Ruth, who wants to serve Jehovah, Yahweh, and wants to B, she wants to die Israelite. She's forsaken her own family, her own identity, all the people she grew up with, her own land. She is all in. And there it's where Naomi says to the people, they're so happy to see you after 10 years, even though her husband passed away, her boys passed away. I'm sure they're all pretty empathetic. And she said, don't call me Naomi for pleasantness, but uh, call me Mara for bitterness. She was broken and, and felt like God had afflicted her. That's how she framed it. Then in chapter two, we saw where Ruth goes out into the field on behalf of her mother in law to find food. And the field is owned by Boaz, who is a relative of Naomi's, Amimelech, her, her former husband, her deceased husband. And so, in, according to God's law, and again, there's layers that we need to understand here. In God's law, there was provision for, it's like, it's not really welfare, it's provision for the poor that they, when you had a field like Boaz, you could reap it once, but not twice, so the poor could come on your heels and glean what's left behind and gather food for themselves. This was God's provision plan for his people under the covenant, the poorer people. And so Ruth is doing this, and we saw that conversation she has with Boaz where she had prayed that at the start of chapter 2 last week that she'd find favor in his eyes, and she did. And when he acknowledged her and talked with her, she said, why have I found favor in your eyes? And he said, because I've heard of all the kindness you've shown your mother-in-law, Naomi. And so stay in this field. Stay with us and with my people, my maidservants, my menservants, and we'll take care of you. And she said, well, please let me find favor like she wanted more favor. So she starts a chapter asking for favor, finds favor, and then asks for more favor from this man in a position of power who, by the context, would be one generation above her, it would seem, from the text. So she breaks bread with him and all of his co-workers. She goes back to Naomi and says, I was in the field of Boaz. She goes, you are so blessed. You're right where you're supposed to be. Don't go any other fields. He what he has to say, and we'll know where we go from here. And that's where we left off. So now chapter 3 picks up from there. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young woman, excuse me, Now Boaz, whose young women you are with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing the barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice a place where he lies, and you shall go in and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And she, that is, Ruth said to Naomi, all that you say to me, I will do. So this puts in motion now another tremendous scene in this story. We we talked about this Saturday night topically that this the whole universe was just hanging in the balance when Boaz and Ruth were talking in their initial encounter. This story gives us dialogue in a relationship that will lead to love, sexual union, and a child that will be the grandfather the great-grandfather of King David. That's where this is going. And it's interesting because I've been thinking a lot about romances in the Bible and love and and these things in the Bible because often people think Christians are prudes and they don't understand the beauty of things. And I must tell you, back in the day when I was doing a lot of youth camps, I would would start off by telling the young people, because if you're old enough to remember, I'm, I'm on point here, so stay with me. There was a time when Dennis Rodman dated Madonna. I know, don't think about that, but I have to put it out there. And I used to tell the young people, do you think God would give Dennis Rodman and Madonna a greater experience in a relationship than a man and a woman who love him and love each other? The answer of course is no. God's best is for those who seek his best. And even as we just finished the book of Judges, where Samson goes after the harlot, and goes after Delilah, and the the, other Philistine women, all these forbidden women, and the whole book ends with violent homosexuals raping and killing a woman and her being dismembered. You come to this book at the same time, and this shows us how beautiful you can make life be if you choose to serve the Lord and live by grace and walk in grace and obedience to the Lord. And this book isn't just a beautiful book about redemption. I believe it's also a beautiful love story because it's a type of the love story of Christ for the church, and yet, there is the human experience of love. And even as Christ went to the cross, as his duty was, he always did those things to please the Father. And there is no other way in the Garden enemy. Yet, he said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down. So you see his love toward the church. You see duty, the right thing to do. The eternal purposes of the entire universe, of a trillion galaxies... And yet you also see love. By this we know love that Christ died for us who are yet enemies. And we know even the reciprocation, the response of the church, individual to Christ, is not a duty or a legal relationship. It's to reciprocate by free will and choice. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how want to gather you like a mother hen or chicks, but you were not willing. So this book is moving toward this romance and this love going forward, this love story, And I'm going to say, I think it's more beautiful than the Song of Solomon, which I still have a hard time understanding. Because people always teach, you know, pastors do series on Song of Solomon for couples retreats and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, I get his band over me as love. The rest is like, you know, I'll figure it out someday. But I say all this because when we look at a story like this, we need to understand God is for love. And God made men and women to be attracted to each other. And he made them emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual. And that sexual intimacy in a marriage is the pinnacle in the sense of all those other elements coming together from emotion, mental, and spiritual. And that's how it's meant to be in God's economy, in his structure that he blesses. And this is a story where that ends up. Verse 13 of chapter 4, as they get married they have sexual intimacy, and they have a child that's in the messianic line. And that child will have another child, and there'll be David and Solomon come from this line. That's amazing. In one in a 100-year period. So, as we go forward in this story, it's a type of Christ for the church, the Goel, the kinsman redeemer. And yet, it's very human. I believe this book is very human. And even this text right here is very human. Because... Here, when Ruth is instructed by Naomi to go to the feet of this man in the middle of the night, this this is a powerful image. I've actually cried over this image meditating on this text because I'm not sure there's a woman more vulnerable in the entire Bible than Ruth going into this threshing floor in the middle of the night, as beautiful as she can be, the perfume, the outfit, and humbling herself and laying at the man's feet a generation older than her. And in so doing, there's a couple elements that are very powerful here. One, let us not forget this in the book of Ruth, it's in the context of God's word. Even if she could glean his field in the context of God's word, even so she can come lay at his feet in the context of God's word. Because he is the Goel, he is the kinsman redeemer. So she would have known in God's law there's a provision for the Goel, the kinsman redeemer. And the kinsman redeemer was to redeem someone if they're sold into slavery from your family. They were to uh, make sure if someone murdered someone in your family that you took it to court and you saw it avenged all the way through. If you lost your property, they were to re- reclaim that property for you as your kinsman redeemer. And finally, they were to raise offspring for their relatives and their heirs in the event the offspring and the inheritance broke off because in God's economy, the inheritance and the family lines were extremely important in Israel. The kinsman redeemer had four areas primarily where they would function with their redemptive skills of the goel. In this case, there's two at work. The property that was lost and sold when they fled the famine some ten years prior and the offspring. So we get a genealogy here Amimelech had this inheritance that he received in the tribe of Judah. And he has his two boys. And the two boys marry. Both boys die with no offspring. Now you have Naomi here, so technically she's in that line. But there's no, there's no inheritance. There's no heir. There's no one in the trust. You have a trust, you have no one to give it to. There's, nothing, there's no one to receive the estate. And thus, there's a provision for a nearby relative to redeem the land, or in this case, that fourth part to bring forth a child, so the line is preserved. This is the story of Jesus and the Sadducees. Remember when they came to him and they said, "Hey, you know, there's a thing here." And again. you know, the Sadducees didn't believe; the, they didn't. They only believed the law. They didn't believe the prophets and stuff. But they came. They came to Jesus, and they say, "Hey, look, a guy died. He had a wife, and then his brother took his wife, and the next brother, all seven had this woman as a wife." So they're taking the story of the kinsman redeemer. They go, "Well," and they're making front of it. They're debasing it in their minds. And listen to what Jesus said to them. You know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. That's one of the most powerful rebukes Jesus gave anyone in the Bible. And it was in relation to this element that gives them the redeemer of a brother marrying his brother's wife to produce offspring for him to have children. Now, this is hard for us to understand culturally. At least it is for me. I can't speak for you, but for me it is. Because it would be intimacy without emotion. And it's in the context of God's word. But it's a specific purpose. So I'll kind of put it with that one. I come to what I don't know. I fall back on what I do know. A marriage is between a man and a woman. And God's blessed. it. And marriage is honorable and the bed is undefiled. And God's blessed it. But there is a place here that's bigger than intimacy in a marriage or even a marriage itself. Because where Jesus took it, he said, For in heaven they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they're like the angels. So where this element of her going and laying at his feet, at the feet of the Goel, would kind of go like, okay, I'm trying to follow God's plan in this. Just know this, when Jesus was brought, this application of the word to him, twisted with the perverted minds of the Sadducees in their faulty theology, he, he basically said, you're so earthly minded, you have no idea what this is about for eternity. Because in eternity, they neither marry nor give it in marriage. So he took it above their thinking, as the heavens are above the earth, so are his thoughts and ways above us. And he just took it right above them. I'd like, whoa. He sent him home, and they never questioned him again. So here, as this story unfolds now, from the last conversation in chapter 2, they would have had probably three or four weeks seeing each other. This man, this woman. We don't know. They wouldn't have gone on a date. But she would have come to his field every day he 's the boss he shows up he 's got his maid servants he 's got his men 's servants he 's the guy he saved the city when there 's a famine, and everyone left, including her her, her former husband and her mother in law they had left this man stayed. We saw this about Boaz, we did a whole study on him. He stayed and he made it happen. he prospered in a famine. he saved the city he 's the hero of the city. he really is, and he blesses the Lord everything we 've heard from Boaz from his because see unlike the song of well, the Son of Solomon's like a play, and they're all talking. And then there's like, Mary and Joseph's a beautiful love story, right? Because the angel appears, Gabriel appears to Mary. She says, let it be to me as thou hast spoken, the maids of the Lord. And then the angel appears to Joseph in a dream. But we don't get the dialogue between Mary and Joseph after the angel appeared to, Mary, uh, to Joseph to Mary. In other words, that's a beautiful love story, but we don't have any dialogue on it. This story, we have dialogue. The initial dialogue in the field where they're talking And the connections made. Future husband, future wife. Great grandparents of the great King David. But now here, we've had three or four weeks where they would have been in group settings. Like just when they're breaking bread or drinking water. And she could have watched him and how he was at work and how he carried himself in a group. You know, in a lot of cultures, that's sort of how they date. Particularly in the Asian cultures, they tend to go in groups. You get groups. You know, groups. You do things in groups. Groups are always safe. You know, they're healthy. Groups are a healthy thing. When there's a group of like six or eight people, a lot of times, particularly even in our culture now, with the millennials, when they went to the prom at Calvary or whatever, you know, it's like eight or ten kids are together, and they kind of go together, and they go here, and they do this, and they go to, to the dinner together, and it's healthy. All of our kids went on proms at Calvary Chapel High School, and they're always in a larger group. They weren't flying solo. They're a larger group. There's, you kind of, see, people can try and put their best foot forward in a private setting, but in a group setting for a period of weeks or months, you kind of see how people are. I mean, think about this. There's so many TV shows in the history of America where it's a workplace environment and everyone gets to see how everyone acts, and everyone has an opinion, and we all show up at work, and we all function together at work like that. So they're all functioning together at work for probably three to four weeks, or even longer perhaps, but not months, maybe just a month or two, but not months, too many from that initial thing, and and then here this happens. So at this point, Ruth and Naomi know that Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. There's no mystery here. And I don't know how long they would have been working in the field together and seen one another, maybe eye contact between Boaz and Ruth. We can speculate, but we don't know. But Boaz certainly knew that he was a kinsman redeemer. We'll see that shortly. And this story begins in chapter three that she knows he's a kinsman redeemer. So the thought is out there. This is the thought, worship generation, body of Christ. Ruth had to decide on behalf of Naomi and Naomi's family, would she forsake younger men or other men? She already forsook her own men from Moab to seek this man as her husband for the rest of her life. So she's going to she's going to, you know, she's not going to go horizontally in relationship. Let's say she's early 30s. She's not going to go 30 to 30. She's going to go 30 to mid 50s probably. And in so doing, she's giving up a second chance at young love if you will. But again, she's she's not she's been married. She's not a virgin. Her husband died. She's a widow. She knows a fair bit about life. We don't know anything about Boaz's background with women. We don't know of any other women. We don't know of any other children. We know one thing. He worked very hard and was a great worker, and he loved everybody. And I don't think he was really seeking a wife because he's older, and he loves everybody, taking care of everybody, and everyone loved to work for him. He said, you know, God bless you, and he said, the Lord bless you, right? We already saw that in chapter 2. We had a man like that around here. Many of you remember Matt Erickson, the deacon. How many of you know Matt Erickson, the deacon? It's the old guard. It's, yeah. Wonderful man. Ran our children's ministry for 10 years. He did the curriculum for all of our kids. Wonderful, kind, loving man. One of the most godly men I've ever known in my life. Always pleasant to talk to. Always about the Lord. Single. In his 30s at the time. Maybe knocking on 40. His dad was a wonderful man. His brother's a wonderful man. It's a godly family. He came to me years ago and said he felt like he was supposed to go to Vietnam to teach at a school. And we're all like, Mr. Matt, you can't leave. But he left. He went to Vietnam. And there, after a year or two, he met a wonderful Vietnamese woman that became his wife. He hardly, he's a very private person, but a few months ago, he posted some pictures of him and his wife. And they just, I cried. I cried. I could cry right now. Because this man was married to Jesus for 40 years and married to this church and the ministry and to serving our children that are now adults. And this man did not seek a wife. The Bible says if you're single, you don't need to seek a spouse. And if you're married, don't seek to be unmarried. Let each be content in their own place, 1 Corinthians 7. And if I ever can think of someone who lived that life, it was Matt Erickson. And I've thought of him in the story of Boaz because he's a good man that was just serving the Lord and not looking for a wife. And lo and behold, this, God brought this beautiful woman to him in Vietnam. That's his wife. And he's living this life with the Lord, together with her. In uh, not Ho Chi Minh City, um, Hanoi. You see, we're first and foremost married to the Lord. And Boaz was married to the Lord. Jehovah was first. You'll have no other gods before me. He had had many young maidservants that worked for him. And probably any one of those maidservants would have been happy to be his wife. After all, this story begins right here in this text that Ruth, Naomi says to Ruth, go get security. Women want security in a relationship. Women want security with a roof over their heads, a, a place of safety, provision. Women want security, and men are called to provide security. And she's vulnerable, So in this background of the Goel and the Kinsman Redeemer and a story like Mr. Matt and his beautiful bride there in Vietnam, this beautiful love story that he's lived since leaving worship generation to a far off land. Here in God's word, we have this man where everything that comes out of his mouth is about the Lord. Every sentence in this book. Ladies, that's the man. Because in all A woman that's been married once would know that, you know, the sons of Adam are the sons of Adam. And what you're really looking for is not just maybe a handsome man or a funny man because, you know, cool cool is cool when you're 20. You don't need cool when you're in your 30s. You need maturity and godliness and humility and kindness and gentleness. Boaz is that man. He's not the cool guy. He's the godly guy. And he definitely provides security. So she would she was not obligated to seek him for marriage. It was her choice. Just like we're not obligated to be saved like robots, but it's our choice. As many as received him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. We're not obligated to Christ. No one is created and conceived in the womb to be obligated robotically to Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. We have a choice. And she had a choice. And over the course of weeks, perhaps a month or two, she chose to marry this man. But she doesn't know if the man wants to marry her. And even though he's a goel and the kinsman redeemer, he's not really obligated to marry her because he has a choice too. There's another kinsman redeemer in front of him in line, and there'd be other kinsmen redeemers behind him in line. He's not the only relative of a in town. We know at least one in front of him God is a cheerful giver. We never give begrudgingly. And so it is here. You would never marry. You don't want now people have married for human history all the time begrudgingly. Or for military benefits or kingdom benefits or economic benefits. But spiritual, equally yoked, and love and romance is all part of God's plan. That's the way he designed it. And we can't discount that. So he has to be willing to receive her. There's a huge um, dynamic in this middle of the night here, in this threshing floor, because she's coming with her very best. She is at her best of her brand. Lady, she's the very best she can be in the beauty of a woman. Not totally in the flower of her youth, but not older either. And she comes with her very best Completely vulnerable. Because think about this. She's the Moabitess coming from the people that were cursed. She's a widow. And she's making herself vulnerable to rejection. Now, you know, we know back in high school, you would ask a friend of a friend to find out she's going to say yes or no to go to the prom because no one wants to be rejected. You, you send out a, a, a scout. Hey, can you kind of scout it? No one wants to ask them to the prom and have a, no answer. You can't scout this one. She's all in, totally vulnerable, in the middle of the night, submitting to this man, and when she lays down his feet, she's saying, Will you marry me? It's a beautiful scene. Because she's made that choice and in so doing, she's given up her rights to marry another young man and have her own inheritance in her own house with another man. See, she could marry another man, have her own inheritance, her own trust, her own estate that her kids get from that. But in choosing to marry Boaz, she's given up that line per se for her and her will, and she's grafting into the line completely with Amimelech, her former father in law, and his offspring. She's given up her identity and her family line to take on that one from her deceased husband and her deceased father-in-law. And now she's willing to yoke with this man a generation older than her to do so. And she chose that. But she is so vulnerable right here in this moment. Not just vulnerable like your first day at work or your first day at college or your first day in the dorm. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about in human relationships and love. She is so vulnerable right here. It's gripping. Ladies, think how you have felt vulnerable in a relationship at various times with your husband if you're married or your honeymoon night, right? Like, there's, the, you know, just the vulnerability. But this man is a kind man. He's a good man. He's a godly man. If he, he, of course, he didn't reject her, but had he rejected her, he would have done so, obviously, in a very gracious and godly manner. But he didn't. But that's why she's at his feet, because it's in the framework of God's word. See, what we're reading about right here, there's nothing to be ashamed of. It's a man and a woman in the framework of God's word. And the fact that she's even come and laying at his feet is because he is the kinsman redeemer according to the word of God. And she is, she can carry on the posterity of the family through the kinsman redeemer. And he is the one. She's choosing him. But is he going to choose her? Now, I'm guessing, but I suppose Boaz is probably the guy that keeps the cards pretty close to the vest. Like, I don't know what went on. If we're doing a, if we're doing a movie, like they did a movie on um, Esther. Remember, they did a Hollywood movie like 10 years ago on Esther. And, you know, you have to create script. You have to create storylines that go with the overall story. You have to put together a script for a two-hour movie or whatever. So what you, what you do with a movie here is you have to figure out what went on for a month between the first conversation in Chapter 2 and the conversation we're about to see in Chapter 3. We'd have, to, we'd have to figure out some script. So you create these scenes, like like a double look or something. Like, like, who knows? But she's laying at his feet in the middle of the night. And she's saying, will you marry me? And in so doing, she's, she's choosing to marry him. And he's asking her if he's willing to marry her. No one's forcing this. There is duty, but there is love, and there is choice. So we read on in verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was cheerful, and he went to lie down at the end of the, the heap of grain, and she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and there was the woman was lying at his feet, and he said, Who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing for you are a close relative. And again, he already knew this. Verse 10, then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, and that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now it is true that I am a close relative, however, there's a relative closer than I. Stay this night, in the morning it shall be, that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good. Let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So here's the second dialogue that we have with Boaz and Ruth. And... So he would have been like, it sounds like he was asleep, right? And he'd eaten and drink, and there he is. This is a guy that's been living on his own for a while, it would seem. Because there's another woman mentioned, this guy had his life. And we know that the longer you're single, the more you just kind of settle in a groove. And I've talked to many people who've gotten married later on in life when they're single, like 40s or 50s, and there's an adjustment because you have a routine. When Jennifer was in Florida for three weeks, and I was by myself here, like Home Alone 5 or something, the movie, Bastard Joy with the Dogs, um, you know, you just kind of get this routine where you, like, if you don't structure routine and give yourself routine and things to do, and, you know, like, hey, we do this, we do that, we do this, we do this, the dog's this and that, and the house looks like this. Like, if you don't get about it, like, you just, like, you 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 have a routine as a single person. I had a, I had a sampler in December of what it was like, and it, you know, just made me want my wife so much because, like, wow, this this is like, I know so many people have lost their spouses, have stepped into eternity. I Like, like oh my, like. Man, I I mean, I can get on that plane fast enough to get back to Melbourne, Florida, get my wife and and come back home. You you get a routine and life's a certain way. So I think about this scene where she says, you know, will you marry me? Because that's what she's saying here. I don't know, like... See, I think sometimes it's hard for the, like, I think for guys, it's like the book, Men Are From Mars, Women are From Venus, you know, like that kind of thing. Like, men and women don't always think alike, and we see different things. We don't see the, the same way. But I see this story as a man would see it. And I'm wondering if Boaz ever thought, like, would she want me to be her redeemer? Because he knew he could be the redeemer. But, like, if you're older, you're insecure there. You're not going to go to the young woman, like, hey, I can be your redeemer. Like, he's, like, hitting on her or something, you know? Like, that's not he he's not that guy. Someone has to make a move. She is, can be the line, and he can be the Goel. But, you know, she's, he's older. She's younger. We don't know their physical appearance. That, that has to be made clear. We don't have, like, they're beautiful people or just average people, whatever, you know. But, like, we do know, because he, he calls her daughter, and the context of what we just read would imply that she's younger because he says, you did not go after younger men, rich or poor, but you've gone after me. So that implies that he's an older guy. So in this story, when she's at his feet, he has to decide that moment if he's willing to change his entire life how he's lived it. Is he going to change his entire life? He's lived his life a certain way for a while. He's got the business. He's busy. Life is fine. You know, like, Wow, like, is he going to, so we have to ask ourselves, had the thought crossed his mind? But, you know, some people never get their hopes up. And I don't know if he's that person. Maybe he's like, gosh, man, I, mean, I don't know. I'm the kids of the Redeemer, but, man, I could never, like, can't go there. That, that would never happen. Guys think like that, ladies, just so you know. That's how guys think. They get nervous. They get flustered. Pick up the phone, put the phone down, pick up the phone, put the phone down. Like that, you know, like, You know, that's what guys do. Guys act all cool. Guys are insecure. Even the coolest guys like Fonzie back in the day on Happy Days, they're still insecure. Guys don't want to be rejected by women. So some guys never, ever will take the initiative because they don't want that rejection. It's better to have never dreamed than to dream and get crushed. That's how a lot of guys are. So, she says this, and he was... Ray, for this moment, he didn't double clutch. He said yes. It's in the dark, in the middle of the night. He says yes. But he says, blessed are you of the Lord. The first words out of his mouth in agreeing to marry this woman and be the Goel, the Kinsman Redeemer, is blessed are you of the Lord. You know, relationships always do so much better when the Lord is in and over the dialogue of the marriage. And the dating relationship. I remember when Phil Wickham was young. He was 17 and we were driving on the 15 coming back from an event. And uh, he, was talk, uh, he was talking about like, we were, somehow we got to talk about him dating because I was of course already married. Like, so like, how do you approach dating? He's like, I don't know. He goes, like, I just know one thing. I'm never going to touch a girl until she's my wife. I was like, well, that's, that's a good start. My wife and I went to his wedding. To Mallory. Like four or five years later, she was beautiful, he was handsome. It was out there by Fallbrook or somewhere. It was a beautiful day in the country. There's a right way to do things. It's in the context of God's word. This is in the context of God's word. He is the well. She can ask him to, like, this is God's word. This isn't manufactured. Dating manufactured is difficult. Because usually how you start is how you end. But when the spirit brings people together, and God's word is over the relationship and is in the dialogue of the relationship. Nah, now you got something there because the foundation of the relationship is spiritual before physical. It's spiritual, then it's emotional and mental, the way God created us, and then it becomes physical. That, that friendship, that phileo love, and the eros love comes after life. It's, it's, it's all in order. And in this story, this is an order. This is framed in the context of God's word. In fact, not just God's word, God's law. This is God's law. God's law is beautiful. It is because of God's law that she's laying at his feet right here in this story. And it's a beautiful story, and it's a beautiful situation of her vulnerability. And, you know, we are vulnerable in life. And there's times when we're serving the Lord, we are so vulnerable. You step out in faith, you are so vulnerable. You move away to faraway land, and you have no proven income, no income for sure, but you moved your family there. I know from experience, my wife knows, you are so vulnerable. But when you are vulnerable with the Lord Jesus Christ, he will always be your, be your goel, be your security, and have your back. If you're all in with Jesus and vulnerable before Jesus, that's the safest place to be. The, the widow putting in her last mite, and isn't it interesting she's a widow? She puts in her last mite. There can be no more greater vulnerability than have nothing Except your faith in God to take care of you as a widow. I once had a discussion with a man, a surfer, going to Cape Hatteras one time on that text. And he, and he said it was easy to put in that last mic because she had nothing to lose. I'm saying, no, it was hard. Because trust me, I always want one more plan where I still have control over something. When I travel, I got snacks in every part of my backpack. I've got toilet paper. I've got extra socks, clean underwear. I'm ready for the end of the world for at least a week. I don't want to depend on American Airlines, Delta Airlines, or the, the terminal and you know Istanbul or whatever. I've always got a plan. To put in your last mite, you got nothing. They said during World War II that when the kids couldn't sleep during bombing, if they gave them a piece of bread and they knew they had food in the morning, they could sleep. It's easier to sleep when you know there's food by the side of your bed or in your refrigerator. When I used to travel as a pro surfer and as a coach, if I didn't know I had orange juice or like uh, apple juice in the morning, I couldn't go to sleep. I had to get it somewhere at a mini mart. However I had to get it, I had to have something there. So when I woke up, it was there. We don't like being vulnerable. We don't like being totally dependent on forces beyond us. But when you serve and live for Jesus Christ and walk by faith, there's a great vulnerability. In a different way, but the principles there as vulnerable as Ruth laying at the feet of Boaz. It's okay to be vulnerable because in our vulnerability of Jesus Christ, he will never expose our nakedness, but he will cover it. And he will cover our back. And he'll be our security. And he'll be our provider. And he will always be our Goel, our kinsman redeemer for everything in our life that we need. Now, with Boaz, though, he agrees. He says, I'll do it. And he's so excited. He says, My daughter, you have shown more kindness at the end than the beginning that you did not go after young men, whether rich or poor. He knows that she had other options. He knows that. And he says to her, Do not fear. You just, she's, I mean, I just can't get over. It. She's so exposed here. I think of my daughters in a situation like this, just so exposed, emotionally, just so exposed. Like and He says, don't fear. He's a good man. He's a kind man. And then he says, you're a virtuous woman, which means a woman of character. Now, we know Proverbs 31 was written by, you know, it's there in Proverbs in the Word, describing this, a virtuous woman, a woman of character. And here, a few generations before that, Boaz calls her a woman of character. And yes, it's true, but he says, there's someone else. There's actually someone else before me. And that might have been a shocker for her, like, oh, I want to be with him, he wants to be with me, but now there's a shocker because you know, there's another guy involved here. Huh, I didn't see that one coming. Maybe she did, I don't know, but it would seem she didn't know. He goes. I'll, he says, "I'll perform this duty, and I will perform this duty." He says that twice, like, because I, I think if you're the older man here, you almost want to protect yourself to think she doesn't actually think I'm attractive. He's probably thinking, "Like, I'll just I'll perform that duty." Like, he'd be afraid to think that she's attracted to him. I would think that. I'll perform that duty, but you know, when you marry someone, we're going to see the wedding next week. I don't see them shaking hands like that's my obligation. Nice to meet you. Like, no. Like, they want to be together. They get married, and at a Jewish wedding, they dance, they kiss, and then they go home, and they're intimate, and they had a baby. They had a son. Like, do you think that's robotic? Do you think God's artificial intelligence with men and women and how they interact with one another? Of course not. Husbands have a duty. I have a duty to my wife. My wife has responsibilities with me, too, in the marital relationship as defined by God's word. Does that mean we don't have love and emotion? Of course not. Both are together. And we see that in this story. She laid at his feet until morning, verse 16. And she arose before one could recognize her. And then he said, Do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Also he said, Bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And she held out and he measured out six portions of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is is that you, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, These six portions of uh, uh, barley he gave to me. For he said to me, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how this matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. And that's exactly how it is. Because in chapter 4 next week, we'll see that it was... Determine that day. Side note. I won't make too much of it, but when we think about romance and a man and a woman in love, these two slept by each other for a night. She at his feet and him there. Like, you think about this. We've been going through the Bible for like 17 years here. There's not too many stories like this. This woman said, will you marry me? And he says, yes, I will, but there's another redeemer. Stay here tonight. So for a whole night, this man and this woman who have known each other, had these dialogues, it's all about the Lord, the framework of God's word in the, the gleaning in the field, the framework of God's word with the Goel, the kinsman, redeemer, and here they are. I think, I, 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 what a night. You know, like, when you lay down next to someone, you, you can hear their heartbeat. You can hear them breathing. I'm just going to tell you, and I will probably never tell you again, I think it's a very romantic scene in this movie, in this story. I think this is very romantic. Because this man, this woman came and said, will you marry me? And this man said, yes, I will. And they laid there through the night, not side by side, but Goel covering over the woman. And the next time they lay together, they're going to lay together as a husband and wife in the bond of marriage. I just think it's a beautiful story. And it just shows me that God's best is for people who love him and love his word and trust his word and live according to his word, and he does beautiful things, including human love in the framework of his word, and we can always trust in him. Love is beautiful when God ordains it, and when he doesn't, it's going to be something less than what it's meant to be. The highest plane of love God's designed for a man and a woman that he's blessing them in a relationship, in his word, in the framework of his word, and that's even this night, that's what they have, You know, I picture when she left in the morning. You know, he, he weighs out he weighs out the the body for her. You know, like it might be a little awkward, right? Like it seems like it could be a little awkward, like because they woke up together, but they weren't like that. Like naughty people are naughty. This is pure. There's nothing defiling about this. This is in the framework of the word. It's a very unique situation too. And he weighs out the barley. And I just kind of, in my mind, I just had this scene like when, like maybe the awkwardness of like, see you later, honey. (laughs) I don't know. Like, this really happened, WG. And I'm really glad this story's here. Because a month ago we talked about rape and murder and mutilation. And that's not what God's about. God's about love and honorable, and virtuous, and kind, and self-sacrificial things, and thinking of others. And that's why I think this book is so beautiful, and I'm so grateful we're taking our time going through it. It's okay to be vulnerable with the Lord, and it's okay to wait on the Lord, and take our time with the Lord, and it's okay to be in love, and it's a good thing to build up love when you are in love and maintain that love, because love with the Lord between a man and a woman is a beautiful thing, and it's an honorable thing. If you're single, Jesus is your go well. And if you're married, Jesus is your go well. But if you're married, you, you still you have that opportunity to, to experience romance and love the way God wants it to be. And we have married couples here, and I would just speak to us as, as married couples, like husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And wives, respect your husbands as the church submits unto the Lord. It's the same thing here, it's a beautiful thing.